Beruchim Abayim Mishem Hashem Berachnuchim Vez Hashem Happy Hanukkah Welcome to our weekly Wednesday Shir Lila Nishmas Shimon Ben Yitzchok Mashabas Ben Yitzchok May the Nishamas find peace and happiness and joy and pray for all their family that they left behind that they shouldn't be considered left behind, they should be considered that they're living within them the prophecy says that they will all come, all the Sheikh Neafar, all those that are in the ground unfortunately will rise up again and they will come and dance and sing with the rest of the Jewish nation as we go out of this horrific exile with Mashiach's kingdom. Amen. Okay, Yirot. Pashmi Kate. Very, very full Pasha in its own right. A Pasha which talks about the rise of Yosef Atzadik from a, <coughs> a simple slave or not so simple slave in the pits in the lowest of Egypt and he rises up to kingship to become the viceroy the Sheni the Melech a happening shall we call it because we can't call it a story because the Torah doesn't tell us stories. Have once again the brothers are united, and the table's a little turned here. <coughs> Actually, not even turned, but we are now seeing the fruition of the dreams that Yosef had dreamt. And we see how the children, the brothers, the siblings, come to bow down to him. The best way to do things, to teach something today's day and age, obviously, is to pose a question. And by posing the question, we see what the person is actually thinking and how a person is thinking. So the obvious question this week would be, I've never done this before, mind you, might have told you about Yutas Kislev, I did it, but okay. Put yourself on Yosef's throne. Put yourself, I can't say Yosef's shoes, I don't know if they wore shoes in those days, it was sandals probably. <laughs> in his robes. Mm-hmm. How would you react once you were reunited with those very same brothers that several years before this beat you, stripped you, threw you in a ditch. And it really, in essence, left you to, to die there because they figured all the snakes and scorpions would kill you. 
Instead, they ultimately took you out and sold you as a slave. How much lower can you degrade somebody? How much worse can it be? And the travelers that were traveling had horrific, they were spice merchants. <coughs> the spice merchant himself is used to the horrific smells some of those spices have. But for him to have to travel, a young 17-year-old child, beaten, broken, all he did was go out and do what his father asked him to do, go check on your brothers. Did he deserve such a punishment? He gets sold to Petifar, as we heard, and he gets put into jail because of the wife. And he suffers quite heavily in the jail. Because everybody knew him as Patifa's servant, and he was an upstanding servant. He was Masalsal Basayde, it says. It's one of the reasons he was punished. He used to make sure he looked good. And now all of a sudden, to be a prisoner in a jail, in a cell, in a pit. He was taken out of the pit. He was given an amazing position. He's in great, great place now, sitting on a throne, ruling this fakakta country, Egypt. And still doing teda, learning teda, doing mitzvahs. He didn't waver the slightest from his his actual devotions to Hashem. Mind you, this was quite a task. He married Osnas. <laughs> How did he marry an Egyptian girl, Osnas? But Osnas had a Kamea. And the Kamea, a little amulet, which said in it, she was a daughter, a granddaughter of Yaakov Avinu. Apparently she was Dina's daughter, according to many commentaries. Therefore she was a nice Jewish girl, and he marries her right before the hunger, when they were still allowed to have children, and he had two boys, Ephraim and Menashe, and he named them after his tortures, his pains. So here he is, the Viceroy, married to a wonderful Jewish girl, living in the life, having Mestama, the best of, habit, of habitat, servants running around, that is every beckon, anyone that wants anything has to come talk to him first, he is the man, he is the guy, the go-to person in this country. Would you say, he forgot everything that happened, let bygones be bygones? Would you? if the tables were turned and you were in that position? Yosef meets his brothers. And he's very, very, very aware of how he has to teach them, train them, explain to them, give them a run for their money. Not because he had to 
pat, him, pat himself on the back, not because he had to just get revenge, because this is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to happen. He was to teach them a lesson. And he could have done that many different ways. He could have done that simply by throwing them all in jail. He accuses them right away of being spies. Okay. That's treason. That puts you against the wall and gets you shot. Or at the very least, put into prison. But yet, he doesn't. He sits back, sits them down in their order of of their ages, He recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. So there we go, another part of our question. He recognized them because how much did they change? After all, they grew a little older, the beards might have gotten a little grayer, but they were doing the same thing, same routine, Shepherds looking after their father, etc., etc., studying Torah. How much did they change already? So he recognized them. Whereas they did not recognize him. Which again leads us to, say, to understand he was a way different person now. He was totally different than what he was when he, when he, when he was sold as a slave. So much so that it was beyond recognition. So what's his position now? What would you do in his shoes? Would you handle how would you handle this? Nobody ever be honest. I would do the same thing as he did. I'd forgive them right away. And I would let them be and, and, and teach them a little bit of a lesson, but not Chashon. Hurt any of them. Never take revenge. Chashon, Chashon, Chashon. Nobody would ever confess to the truth sometimes to some people. I would have given them back. I would have slapped them or silly. I would have said to them, now you see you morons how I became the king? You see how those those dreams were true? You see why I needed to tell them to you? Now you learn how to behave? Because you're always bickering amongst each other anyway. And he has to warn them on the way home. Behave yourselves, don't fight on the way back. He doesn't. doesn't do any such thing. He very eloquently... presents himself to them. So you may ask, maybe his echad belev, echad bepeh. Maybe his heart is thinking one thing, but he's a good actor, so he's acting something else. We know for a fact 
that a person something that comes out of the heart enters the heart, penetrates another heart and therefore had he not been sincere in what he was doing it would have given him away they were sharp fellows Ruben, Yehuda, they were smart kids these guys Shimon and Levi just wiped out a whole city <coughs> as kids so needless to say they were no slouches they knew exactly what they were doing exactly how to do it too so they would have picked up right away if there was something here but there was nothing in his heart even the forgiveness was it was beyond he forgave them in such a way clean slate beyond clean slate these are my brothers and I love you in the dynasty of the Slonim family there was a one, one of the ancestors of the great grandfathers the Yisait Aveda he was referred to his mitzvah that he cherished more than anything else was his minera. and he did it and it was really a beautiful and really quite a sight when he passed away they didn't know who they should choose as his successor and the elders got together and they decided to take his grandson who was known as the Divri Shmuel to be his successor he said on what basis are you choosing this grandson out of all the children grandchildren and they said we'll tell you an interesting story with him when he was young he set up his menorah out of Shabbos and he was very, very prominent with the houses and there should be. He was very meduyik, very everything had to be, every I dotted, every T crossed. It was Arab Shabbos. He wanted to see his grandfather lighting the Mineta. So first things first he set up his Mineta and then he ran to his grandfather to watch him light. When he came back, out of all things that happens in life, someone saw a nice menorah set up and they lit it. They made a bracha and they lit the menorah. And they said, thank you, whoever did this for me. Obviously he was devastated, he was shattered, but what did he do? He went and ran quick, found some kind of supplies. He found fat from an animal that burns. He put some kind of wick into it. And although it was not the first night even, he lit that one piece. He lit that one thing. That was his menorah. He made a bracha. That was his menorah. He didn't get upset. He didn't get angry. He didn't scream and yell and curse out the person that did it. He just took it in stride and said, here we go. In turn, when he passed, 
the Beis Avram, his son, had the exact same attributes as his father, and also had an incident on an Arab Shabbos, where he had his menorah all set up, it was beautiful and ready to ignite. And one of the children haphazardly ran by and toppled the whole menorah, oil and all, all over the place. As we said, it was Arab Shabbos, and there was literally no time. The wife had to light the Shabbos candles, and to reset and to squeeze oil. In those days, they squeezed oil each time they lit the menorah. To start squeezing oil and to set up again and to make the menorah again would be impossible. Everybody was holding their breath to see what kind of reaction will he do, how will he react to this child that just did that so wild. What would he call him? What would he say about him? Will he smack him? And he said, there's an Abish in the world. And the Abish commands us to do many things. One of the commandments the Abish did and gave us is to light the menorah on Hanukkah. Beautiful mitzvah. I'd love to do it. <coughs> but he also told us <coughs> we're never to be angry. <coughs> we're not allowed to be angry. Anyone who gets angry is as if they served idol worship. So although he didn't light the menorah because of it, he lost out on that mitzvah, but he would not get angry with which they in turn saw was the proper successor to his father. Yosef's reactions. They're definitely beyond understanding and beyond the grasp of the human mind. But they are a tremendous lesson to all of us. Which is what Teda is all about. <coughs> Excuse me. Teda Lashon Hera. And the lesson it teaches us, quite obvious and quite simple, how we need to live our lives. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, many of us have gone through and been through and subjected to many horrific experiences in life. We need to learn how to forgive and forget. And not just say it, not just superficially sweep it under the carpet, but to sincerely, sincerely do it, and sincerely mean it. When we can achieve that level of forgiveness, we can also achieve inner peace. As did Yosef, who was good with who he was. Fully got sexual passion, Hanukkah, etc. Another story which is very apropos to this situation of the concept of forgiveness, the concept of teshuva.
a man from Yitzchol, I guess seeking to collect money or for whatever reason he did, he traveled to the wonderful other end of the world, to Australia. And he came to Australia and he had no information. He couldn't get anything off the internet. He couldn't get any addresses, any phone numbers. He literally came blind. It's Thursday. He has to find a place for Shabbos. Ayid Gitzchanetzu, we say, a Jew thinks through and he figures out things. He said, I'm going to go to the fish market. It's Thursday today. I'll find somebody buying a nice big fish. I'll know, ah, there's got to be a yid. He's buying fish for Shabbos. And this is what he did. He went to the fish market. <coughs> and lo and behold, he sees a fellow buying a nice big fish. <coughs> And walks over to him and says, Shalom Aleichem. The traditional Jewish greeting. To which the man answers, traditional answer, Aleichem Shalom. And the Yid says, I'm from Yerushalayim, Irakadish. He says, beautiful. That's wonderful. He says, would you mind having me as a guest for Shabbos? He says, no, of course I love to have guests. Such a mitzvah, not so circum. And he invites this Israeli friend, his new friend here, that's in the fish market, he invites him over for Shabbos. And he comes to stay by him. And it was splendid. The man obviously was very well to do, had a beautiful family, a beautiful home. They sang Zmiris and they said, it was... It was blissful. After Shabbos, the guest is parting from his host and says to him, I cannot thank you enough for this most beautiful, extraordinary Shabbos. The accommodations were amazing. The food was phenomenal. The company was great. And the, the spirit and the atmosphere, the environment... I could write a book about this Shabbos. It was so fantastic. Pray tell, can I ask you, for to ask you this one simple question, although it might be personal? The man says, sure, please do. I noticed in your china closet a broken flask of oil. What is that all about? Ha! The lead sits and laughs and says to him, That's my life. That's your life? He says, Yes, that's my life. When I was young, my father passed away. I was orphaned. My father. And my mother, my mother could not support herself, obviously. She was not able, not capable. So I went out to work. I put my hand to mercantile. 
And I bought and sold and sold and bought and did and did another job and a third thing and a fourth thing and I started, I did very well. I did very well. Unfortunately, to take it up a notch in those days, it didn't work for the nice from Jewish little boy to walk into a business meeting or anything like that. So I stopped wearing my yarmulke. Stop wearing my kapal. If I wasn't wearing my kapal in public, I didn't wear it really at home either. So I didn't wear it at home either. I didn't wear it at home already. So I'm not wearing a yarmulke. I can't put on tefillin. So I didn't put on tefillin. I didn't wear tzitzis. Unfortunately, after the tefillin, the tzitzis went, so too went Shabbos and Kashas and everything. And here I was living the high life. I was a high roller, doing well, lacked nothing, except for the way of my father, which was Tera and Mitzvah. Ba'ayem, I was walking home one day, cold winter day, and there's a little boy sitting on a stoop, on the curb actually, of a, of a, block, of a corner, crying, bawling, crying his eyes out. I remember myself as in that position, being that little boy, crying because my father was dead and I had nothing to talk to and nobody to support me and take care of me. And I saw as a Yiddish Ingle and I said to him in Yiddish, I said, Yiddish, what happened? What happened? Please tell me. And the Ingle with Seventa Egen, the little boy with fiery eyes, looked up at me and said, my father gave me his last few coins and told me, go buy a kriegel of oil, a little flask of oil, a little jar, jug of oil, so we could have for the menorah tonight. But please, Tatl, be very careful, because this is my last pennies. I don't have any more. If you break this, I won't have menorahs. Needless to say, I was extremely, extremely careful. I bought it, and I was carrying it very carefully. And suddenly, out of the back corner of my eye, I see a cat come chasing me. Cat started to chase me. I ran for my dear life. I'm a little boy. I tripped, unfortunately, and the jug broke. I, I don't, the part of the cat, I don't know if the cat caught him and ate him or not. I, probably he's not, because he's telling the story. And here's the jug. There's a broken jug sitting here. And I don't have oil. And I can't go home. My father's not going to be able to light me later. I'm going to be devastated. He's going to be devastated. It's going to be horrible. So I said to the little Yingala, how much is the jug of oil? And he told me how much it was. I gave him double. And I said, do me a favor, Yingala. That's my house. Go buy two kriglach, two bottles. Bring me one and take one home for your father. And he did. He went home. He went out. He bought two oil, two more bottles of oil. And brought me one and took one home. I looked at the oil. And it looked like a magic lamp. I was going to rub it and hope a genie would come out. I had. I grew a tremendous connection with this oil. 
I found myself a menada or a cup or whatever it was I found. I set it up and I lit the menada that night. Obviously to light the menada I needed to put on a yarmulke. When I woke up in the morning I saw the menada sitting there. I said, I put on my talus and my tulin and I davened. It's been uphill ever since. My Yiddishkeit Baruch Hashem grew and I came back to the fold and to the path of my father. This jug though is my life. It's my reminder. My Akkadah Satev for literally saving my spiritual soul and bringing me back to the faith of my father. We don't know Rabbi say, what is that turning point in our life? We don't know what will all of a sudden happen in our lives and transform it and take us to a totally, totally different level and direction. We hit sometimes many, many potholes in life. We go through many different trials and tribulations and pain. And so many times we say to ourselves, that's it, I give up, I forget, I don't want to hear about it. It's this person or that person that hurt and what they stand for, etc. They they say they stand for... I can't. I'm giving up. tells us these stories we don't know when we're going to get that jug of oil that broken jug we don't know when we'll be put to test and have to overcome anguish and anger we don't know when HaKadosh Baruch will turn our corner and help us overcome, help us through the worst of it all, send us a Yeshua and a salvation with no reason or rhyme, out of nowhere, out of a place that we could never imagine our salvation would come, out of a situation we never could imagine that HaKadosh Baruch Hu could pull out of his hat, as we say in America. And yet, we look at the opportunity sometimes, we look it in the face, we stare it down and we walk away. But then at times, we look at the opportunity we grab it, we embrace it with both arms and we take it and we dance with it and we rejoice with it and we devote ourselves and dedicate ourselves (coughs) to this new turn in life and we connect literally with it we become one and we soak and bask in the beauty 
of Teda and Mitzvahs, which we had once thought that we needed to abandon totally, we once felt <coughs> were borderline wrong, or something that had nothing to do with me, or something I wanted nothing to do with. And we now take that and we move ahead and we forge ahead and we say to ourselves HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I want to thank you you saved me you giving me a new breath a new lease on life you pushed me up and ahead and beyond and I'm in a better place than I've ever been in my life I have no words to thank I have no thoughts that can elevate me any higher than I'm going but I need to embrace it I need to run with it and live with it and tells us, Yasef HaTzadik, and tells us in our stories that we heard now, how a person can overcome trials, tribulations, pain, and any other tortures that a person has been subjected to, and with full with strength and devotion and dedication to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we can do tshuva ourselves and other people can do tshuva and we should accept their tshuva and HaKadosh Baruch Hu should accept our tshuva and we should be able to overcome everything and all the hurdles and we should be able to jump the hurdles and overcome them in the greatest possible way I am still recording this year we are now I'd like to focus a little bit on Shabbos Hanukkah. We say in the Alanisim, the Hoydais Ulahalel. Hanukkah is one of a kind of all other Yom Tevim. For all Yom Tevim, all other Shabbosim, we have an obligation of meals that we have to set, set meals, has to be mil- has to be fleshik, has to be yayin, dogim and bosar, wine and fish and meat. Comes Chanukah, hold on, leikavim lemishteh v'simcha. Shekhanach tells us it was not established for sitting drinking. Ella, for what? The halal vahido. Keeping score at home, it's Gemara Shabbos, Chafalif Hamid Beis, talks about the sugya of my Chanukah, talks about the concept of Chanukah, the halachas, the mitzvahs of Chanukah. Chanukah is a time to praise, to sing out the meal that we have on Chanukah. Is it a shus? You can also have it. But the actual obligation of the Hanukkah 
is the Hallelujah Hashem to praise God, to light the candles, and to commemorate the miracle of the Pach Hashemin, the small jug of oil. Why? Chanukah is a Yom Tif. Albeit mit Rabbanah, not mit Atera. Although there are many hints to it in the Tera, if you go back to many archives, Shurim and Pashas Miketz, you can hear all the different connections of Chanukah and Pashas Miketz, some of Ayigash as well. Vayimiketz Shinasayim. Shinasayim is written Shin Nun Saf Yud Mem. And it stands for Smoil Ner Tadlik Yemin Mezuzah. You light the Menera on the left and the Mezuzah on the right. So that's the first hint, the uh, side of Hanukkah in our Parsha. There are many, many, many more. The difference, though, between Hanukkah and other Yom Tevim is the essence of the Yom Tev itself. On other Yom Tevim, the main decree was on the body of the Jews. They wanted to simply downright destroy the human being, the Jew. Servitude of Egypt, the decree of Haman, and therefore, the joy of the nullification of these terrible tortures and punishment is celebrated with a meal. And that's the famous saying, they wanted to kill us, we were saved, let's eat. Whereas Hanukkah, the decree was a spiritual one. As we say in the davening, to forget your teda. And therefore the celebration is a spiritual one. The lighting of candle with oil. The Greeks did not want to just kill the Jews out. They said, stay alive, what do we care? You're good for the business. But, this Torah business, I understand you, you love it. I understand that it's stimulating intellectual-wise, and it gives you a lot of satisfaction in that vein. But, do it for different intentions. Do it for just that, for the intellectual, for the understanding. This was therefore an attack, not a physical, but a spiritual attack. They were very intellectual people. They were very into their intellect. Therefore they're telling them, Laz up! Don't devote your dedications and your mind to Teda in that vein. You can learn Teda all you want. But, not for the sake of God and not for 
the learning of halacha. Not for the connection, the spiritual connection. In conjunction, therefore, with the study of the Pneumius of Torah, this inner secrets of Torah, we get from this a yet a deeper meaning. This meal consists of bread, water, wine. And these three things, bread, water, wine, are staples. A person needs to exist. But they also are hints in how to reveal terror. That very same Jew needs to learn in order to understand and to know how to behave. Wine, not necessarily needed for its own existence, but just to get a person to have a person, given person enjoyment and happiness in life. We're not. We're asking people not to become alcoholics, but uh, one lechayim to say it to make it make yisamach levavenish to make a person happy. And therefore, this adds also the depth and the chayas in the service of God. But there's a fourth thing. Besides the three staples of wine, water, and bread, you have shemen, oil. We all know the famous uh, comparison when you want to say, People don't, as we say in America, jive, don't fit, don't get along, don't, are not in one shoe. It's said they're like water and oil. Oil and water always separate. Oil and water, water and oil. Correct me if that one was the wrong order. Lechem, bread, water, wine. You can eat or you can drink on their own. Oil is not for consumption on its own. Or drinking on its own. But rather it needs to be mixed into foods, into salads, into cooking, into whatever it might be, the kugels, into... I'm not starting a kind of cooking class now. And it definitely improves the taste infinitely and causes tremendous, tremendous pleasure at this point we come to the actual understanding of Hanukkah and the greatness and the tremendous virtues of Hanukkah over all other Yom Tevim which is this, obligated to have the Suda of bread Wine and, and, wa- and wine, w- bread, water, and wine. The other Yom Tevim are tied to more the other revelations of Torah. Whereas the wine, where there it's hinted 
the secrets that are given and revealed. And that's how we see in the Torah from these, from, that's what we derive from this in Torah. Whereas Hanukkah, where we see where we see that the mainstay reflection of the Yomtev is through the oil, this gives us the strength of the secrets of the depth of Terah, of what is known as Rosen de Rosen. As Zayar refers to the Terah, the secrets of the secrets. And therefore, it begs to ask, Hanukkah is the holiday which our sages tell us, Venikva Bitkufa Sha'am Yisrael Hayashori Bematzav Ruchn Yirud. The Jews were in a very, very poor spiritual state. So then, how is it that to celebrate this holiday, we celebrate it with oil, which is the highest state of spirituality? But this is the order of which the Torah is revealed. The darkest points conquer and move on and forge ahead. And therefore here too, these highest points that we can reach are revealed more so of Tera. So Hanukkah when Gesham the Malchus Yavon when they stood up to destroy us, the Greek nation, the wicked Greek nation, stood up to destroy us, take away our spirituality. We needed to have, in order to conquer them, the extra light of Torah. And therefore it was revealed, the Shemen of which it exists, the Razen, the Razen. And this of course also, is tied with Pashas Mi Kates, Kates Lushen, Kates Hayomim, the last end of the days. For at the end of exile, that's when we will start to experience the Razen, the Razen. In order to be able to overcome the darkness, in order to be able to taste from the delicious concepts of the Geula. We spoke before, Pashas Miketz introduces the amazing meeting between Yosef and his brothers. They come down to Egypt now a second time, and this time, because Shimon was in prison, they bring with them their brother Binyamin as much as it was a very, very, um, much to the chagrin of Yaakov, did not want to let Yaman out of his sight, because God forbid he can't trust these kids the first time with one son, and this is the only other son that he had from this wife, from Rachel. But yet, he allows them to bring down Yaman, because the only way they can get food was if they brought Yaman.
Yosef becomes tremendously emotional. He just was so emotional, he just needed to cry. Needless to say, when you see somebody that you haven't seen for many, many months or years or whatever time it was, and you are connected to this person, Lev and Efesh, heart and soul, needless to say, this is the normal reaction of a person. Emotion wells up within the person, and the person needs to cry. But Yosef did not want to cry in front of his brothers. He was not just ready to give up his identity. And he steps out. Rashi wants us to understand what he was so emotional about. He says, let us discuss, says Rashi, the dialogue that took place between Yosef and his baby brother Binyamin. He says to him, you have another brother from your mother? And he says, I had another brother, I have no idea where he is. He asks him again, do you have any children? At this point, this is quite a while that he hasn't seen him, mind you. He answers, I have ten children. He says, really, and what are their names? And he begins to, he begins to enumerate their names, Bella, Becher, excuse me, etc. He says, what are the natures of these names? Where did you get them from? And he, to which he responds, says Rashi, to which he responds, they're all named after my brother and his troubles. Everything that happened to him. <clears throat> Bella, because he was swallowed up between the nations. Becher, because he was the Becher, he was the oldest. And when he saw that the ten children that Binyamin had, Binyamin literally named after him, and all that happened to him, this burst. No matter how strong Yosef was, and no matter how steadfast he was standing, not to reveal himself to the brothers, this outdid everything. He said he hit a point... <laughs> not Shalom, a trigger word but he had a point that was a something unexpected entirely something uh, totally unexpected this little boy not little boy anymore he had ten children but his little brother nonetheless lived with him although he was gone and not around and out of sight he lived with him every moment and every day and had his children named after the situation which his brother had been through. And had been going through and for all he knew was suffering till this day. 
It is known that Rashi does not like to quote Midrashim. Unless they literally have to explain the actual shot of the Pasuk, the Pshuti Shalmikra. So why bring down at length this Medrash to explain the emotional reaction of Yosef? Without the Medrash we'd understand as well. Yosef meets his brother. The brother that he came from his mother and a brother that had nothing to do with his being sold. It's 22 years later that he hasn't had any contact. There was no WhatsApp in those days. And he meets him. Obviously, this is going to cause him to burst with emotion. Obviously, it will cause him to burst out in tears. So why does Rashi have to go through this great length to explain this whole conversation, this whole dialogue? It seems that Rashi needed to come on to this because of the way Yosef stood up to his other brothers and the way everything was going along over here. Everything was moving along in this whole conversation. Before he saw Binyamin, and still in all, he didn't cry. He didn't show any kind of emotion. He didn't show any kind of reaction. He spoke to them and he told them, you're spies, and he put them into their places, etc., etc. And had Shimon arrested because they stole his goblet. All that went on over here. He showed no emotion. Eivazei, if that was the case, when should he have cried? After they had an exchange of words. So therefore we have to say that we need to enumerate conversations that did not happen here in the Tata. They were not mentioned in the Tata. And that's why Rashi chooses to take this medish and to put it all out on the table. We spoke before, Yosef was in a very, very, very high position. A person cannot lift up his hand in this country without Yosef. So Yosef needed to be detached and not emotional in order to be able to keep his position and to keep his stature and to keep his demeanor. Therefore, when people came to him with their plights and with their this and with their yens, no. So you got food, you got food. You, got, you needed this, you needed that, fine. He could not get emotionally involved and attached to the subjects. So therefore, when his brothers came, he put up an extra barrier, an extra wall, to make sure that he does not get affected. And therefore, he actually 
put on a little stubborn face. But when he saw Binyamin, his brother, he was very emotional to see him. But it wasn't enough to make him burst out crying. What brought it on? Dafka, the conversation with Binyamin. The exchange of words revealed by Binyamin, the Binyamin's brother, all these years did not falter, did not for a moment forget the tortures that Yesu was subjected to. And so much so that he named his ten children and revealed this to Yosef. This was a tremendous emotional act. And it was so deep that this is what caused Nichmur Rachmov. Chassidus explains Yosef, we know, is a symbol of the Jewish nation. As Davra Melech eloquently puts it, Nayhei Katsein Yosef. We are going as the sheep of Yosef. Whereas Binyamin was Ben Oini, his mother called him. A sign of Tzara. This is a hint of the Neshama that came down from the highest to go into the most mundane and painful physical goof. It was once upon a time in the level of Achi brother bound and attached to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. and now Tzadus Mitzauha this trouble that happened to him and his Nivlo the Neshama is now swallowed up in a body, a physical mundane body and from this it suffers tremendous therefore the mission of each and every Jew Yosef is to be me'erer rachmim on the neshama, to awaken compassion on our neshama, on our binyamin. And through this, we awaken compassion to us, the compassion of a God Almighty, and causes us, causes a direct influence of godliness to our neshama, and this way, thereby we find from the restraints of the body that refrain, that hold back the light from illuminating within our physical body and all the physical mundane things that a person passes through all day long and it brings about the ultimate light and the light of Mashiach Tzitkenu Eresh Mashiach where there will be Teira Chadosha Me'iti Teitzei and we will be able to go with Mashiach Tzidkenu to Yerushalayim Yerakadosh this Shabbos and the Shabbos Chanakeh in Yerushalayim what more could you ask for Shabbat Shalom to all Shabbos of Ula Shabbos of Lights